0: your championship listen to this crowd
1: braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond here's grant mccauley hello
0: and welcome to from the diamond as always i'm grant mccauley and we're bringing you some baseball talk to help you pass the time so thanks once again for joining us this week First and foremost, I hope you and your loved ones have been staying safe and taking care of one another as we all navigate through this time of uncertainty. On this episode, Bill Rowland and I will get to the big headlines from the baseball world for this week, how MLB is preparing for what they hope will be a season that has as many games as possible, how the players are currently handling this time of inactivity. We'll also discuss how no season could impact the long-term legacy of players. We'll cover MLB giving minor leaguers a little bit of help financially, And there's also some more drama coming out of Houston, so we'll get to that at some point. And how one big league player wants to solve those extra inning games in 2020, you're going to want to hear about that. And that is all coming your way on this episode of the show. As always, you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and reviews, they're always welcome. And if you love what you hear, be sure to tell a friend about From the Diamond. Make sure you're following along on Twitter at FromTheDiamond Diamond underscores where you can find the show. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. And Bill is at Bill Rowland, that's B-I-L-L-R-O-H-L-A-N-D. Over on Instagram, at From the Diamond, with no underscores where you can find the show. And I am at Grant McCauley there as well. And everything, including every episode of the show, can be found at FromTheDiamond.com. All right, so let's get everything started for this week. I want to welcome Bill Rowland into the show. Unfortunately, we're not sitting here with a whole host of baseball stories about what's been happening on the field. But as we spend our time trying to flatten the curve and put this virus behind us, to use a little bit of a baseball pun there, all we can do right now is hurry up and wait, but I'm looking forward to getting back to baseball sooner than later.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, Grant is going to be back on. I hope everybody's being safe out there. I know we've been trying to figure out when they might be able to start things off, but here in Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C., we're on lockdown till June 10th, which uh, seems like a long, long time from now, and It seems to me that we'd be a long, long way from baseball at that point as well. But hopefully things change. Yeah, it feels like we're looking more like I think July 1st is going to be baseball's
0: best case scenario. And I say that just based on the stay at home and shelter in place orders like the one you just mentioned. I know that school in the state of Georgia, the remainder of the school year has been canceled at this point. So that's all wrapped up. And you've got to think that if baseball is going to get something started, it's going to take at least a month to get ready and prepare guys so that they're adequately ready to take the field and play baseball again. And clearly if you're major league baseball, you don't want to have a start and stop scenario where you think you're ready to start, you go through all the motions, and then all of a sudden you can't get the season underway because I don't think that's what they want to go for either. So there are a whole lot of variables on the table here and I'm not sure there's any real clarity to the situation to be had right
1: now. Yeah, that's a great point as far as, you know, what do they do once they get going if They say July 1st and they want to do a three to four week ramp up and then all of a sudden for whatever reason things aren't improving or for some reason even getting worse and you got to shut these guys down again for the position players. Not sure it's that big of a deal, but for pitchers that would be a huge deal if they got two weeks into ramping it up and all of a sudden they had to shut everything down again.
0: Yeah, it certainly would be. I've read a lot of articles, listened to a lot of interviews and different things where guys have been talking about. I know the Yankees were trying to look at ways to get their guys prepared, but also you know, maybe ways to creatively manage their innings this year as well, just trying to avoid as many injuries or just come up with the best plan of attack, if you will, to try to navigate through a season that's going to be unlike any that we've ever really had. And in that vein, as we start to kind of get into the news of this week, a story that popped across that I think people have been wondering about since the initial postponement of the season and the end of spring training is would baseball consider playing their games in front of no fans? This is something that got kicked around quite a bit. I'm sure it's something that's been discussed quite a lot as well. Joel Sherman reporting that is under consideration. But, Bill, do you think this is likely, or do you think Major League Baseball is going to do everything it can to not have to deal with that?
1: Well, I think they'll explore every single option, Grant, as they should – um, as far as trying to get this, the the you know people back in the stands, but they also have to realize that if they're not at a position where the local governments or even national government, if that, that may be the case, have said that you can have gatherings of I think here for us it's you know, no more than ten or you have to be less than ten whatever the number is. If baseball wants to get a season in, if they think that they can start in July and maybe by August or you know, September, you'll be able to have fans back in the stadiums. I wouldn't be surprised if they found four, five, six different places where they think they could play and the teams just kind of rotate through those. So you have two or three games at each location in front of no fans. Boy, TV ratings would be huge. But uh, to me, that's really the only way they're going to be able to do it. And then you just maybe move a couple of teams around. If you have, you know, six teams in one location, Well, you can knock out a bunch of games round-robin style between them before moving them on to somewhere else. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be round-robin
0: tournaments or that kind of thing, or if we're just talking about, okay, just pick a neutral spot that a team doesn't normally play in, and when the home team for that usual stadium is off on the road, then you're trying to mix and match, okay, we can get a three-game series between the Yankees and Red Sox in at this stadium, say it's, for the sake of argument, say it's in Arlington or whatever. And you're able to play there. Now, I don't know that that's necessarily going to be a spot. I don't think that anybody's really talking about it in any great detail as far as that's concerned. But uh, when we looked at this particular scenario over the past few weeks, we felt like it's got to be on the table. You can't really rule this thing out right now. And it's going to be different. It's going to be weird. But I think if you've got to navigate the troubled times right now and get as many games as you can in, this neutral site thing may just be one of the new realities to get the 2020 season done.
1: Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I think, I mean, I haven't seen anybody float this. This was just kind of an idea that my my buddy and I were talking about the other day as we were social distancing from each other, uh-huh. is basically to just find, say, six spots, and you put each team you know, you know from the divisions in those spots, and you play your divisional games amongst each other, and then move on to play you know the AL East and the AL Central. Maybe the Red Sox go and play all the teams from the AL Central at a – particular spot over the course of a couple of weeks and they're all round robbing i don't know how you would do it necessarily but i think if you had enough teams where you'd play it again Mm -hmm. three games a day at that location let's just you know say tampa for instance if they decide that that's one of the places they could do it well, maybe you'd have the Red Sox and the Orioles play at noon and then at 4 o'clock, because you're not going to have to worry about emptying the stadium of fans because you're playing in front of nobody. Right. At 4 o'clock, maybe you have the Yankees in Toronto play. And then maybe at you know, 8 o'clock that night, you would have uh, you know a couple of other teams, maybe Minnesota and Cleveland. And those are the six teams that are there. And they just play each other over and over, three-game series, whatever it is, and then once you run through that, You move a couple other teams in and you know, somebody heads out to Arizona and three more teams come in and you start again. So you're playing your division teams over and over again in that rotation, which you should do, but Mm -hmm. also getting to play the other teams within your league as well. Well, and clearly under that plan, Major League Baseball schedulers would have to sit down and come up
0: with all new scenarios. That'd be a nightmare. Yeah. Well, you can't pick up your regular season schedule on, you know, again, like say they want to have opening day on July fourth. That's another thing that's kind of been talked about. So not so much the 1st of July, but 4th of July. If baseball is able to say, hey, we're coming back, this is our new opening day. You know, obviously, you get all the tie-ins with you know, July 4th and baseball and apple pie and all that good stuff. But that aside, you're going to have to figure out if you run a scenario like that, especially multiple teams in the same cities trying to play on the same day, double header style or triple header style or whatever it may be, you're going to have to come up with an all-new schedule to accommodate for that. Now, Putting it, sticking a pin in that for a minute, and if we get back to it, great. But if we don't, just focusing on the general reaction within and around the game, Yankees pitcher Zach Britton went on MLB Network Radio this week, and he was discussing the possibility of teams starting the season in neutral sites or playing, I guess, in neutral sites just based on concerns in their home cities of the coronavirus. And New York is obviously one of those, as anybody who's been watching the news can tell you. And Britton went on to say that he knows that these sites have been discussed He's not sure if he should even really talk about it publicly, but four or five cities is what Britton was saying that MLB and the union have slightly discussed as spots that have, and I quote, the resources, facilities, and hotels that could host a major league team if we get to that point, end quote. Now, that's not a whole lot of clarity, but just the fact that they're discussing that lets you know that the reality of this is people are going to have to be very flexible and also very creative to make this whole thing work when and if they can resume the major league baseball season and the win is I think, the biggest question right now, even though the if is something you got to keep in the back of your mind.
1: Yeah, and we've talked about it in the last couple of weeks, and you mentioned New York being one of the hot spots. So I don't know how you're going to have the Mets and Yankees and then also bringing in teams to play them. California teams as well. Yeah, and, and the other the other place uh, I just saw the other day, Detroit is one of uh, mm-hmm. a, a city that their numbers are growing and growing and growing, and, and people are saying that they may be Um, one of the top five before this is all said and done of of the number of cases that they're going to have, which seems kind of weird because I don't know that Detroit is a a top five or top ten in population. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but it's a Major League Baseball city. So Mm -hmm. you have another one where you're looking at it and going, okay, may not be able to go to Detroit. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of different places that I don't think you're going to be able to start baseball in July because the numbers are just not going to allow it. Even if you're not doing it in front of fans, I just don't think safety-wise. So I think a lot of teams, if not all of Major League Baseball, if they're going to get it started, I think Zach Britton has probably maybe leaked some things that, he, as he even said, he shouldn't have. I think baseball is going to have to start, and you're not going to see opening day at Fenway Park or Yankee Stadium. Yeah. It's going to be you know, more of the other places that are maybe outliers from uh, from these big cities. Yeah. And some of these big
0: cities. And when you go back out and look at the California side of things, I mean, that was one of the first places we were hearing a lot about, okay, there needs to be these shelter in place options that need to not even be an option anymore. It needs to be an order. And that means San Francisco, what Oakland, both to Los Angeles teams, maybe San Diego. I don't know that every one of these cities and the particular areas have been affected to the point where they wouldn't be able to play baseball if they got the all clear. But again, these are the kind of things we're talking about that I don't think anybody would have necessarily expected to be part of the solution but I really again to just kind of belabor the point I don't feel like you can rule anything out but I think everybody's sitting around and probably hoping or more or less hoping that you'll be able to have as much of the normal part of teams being in their own cities as possible because as you mentioned earlier logistically the thing's going to be a nightmare if you've got to start changing cities and changing the schedule in large part because I think that at some point when you sat down and looked at, all right, how can we accommodate for as many games as possible? And you started talking about you know, moving the season a little bit into November, maybe even into mid to late November. You already knew the schedule was probably going to change at some point. But how exactly you even it out or balance it out or unbalance the schedule and then rebalance the schedule or however you want to look at it, there were a whole lot of things that need to be done. And I would imagine that there are a lot of guys and gals working some very long hours in the Major League Baseball side of things trying to figure out exactly what a schedule will look like. And they don't just get to make one. They're probably having to come up with multiple iterations of the schedule just based on the dates.
1: Oh, sure. And they're going to have to look at, you know, four or five different scenarios of, okay, do we start in July at neutral sites? And then are we able to expand out by August back to the regular ballpark? So do we play a month in four or five different cities? And then by August, everybody's back and playing in their own city, even if it's in front of no fans. They're going to be able to be back and and ready to go. And and quite frankly, by the time we get to July, I won't care if there is not a single person in that stadium. As long as I have live baseball to watch, yeah. I won't need the crowd at all. I just want somebody somehow to figure this out so that we can get back to having these types of things. I know you know in other sports they're trying to figure out if they can do their playoffs. I know the NBA's talked about it, the NHL. Um, I think we're all just salivating now to get back to watching live sports.
0: Yeah, and I think that this is just kind of the offshoot of how our lives have been affected in so many different ways. And the fact that sports for so many people was it was more than just a recreational activity. It was an escape. And that's, I think, really the driving force behind wanting to get this back and beyond. Hey, well, for the players, this is their job. This is their career. This is their livelihood, so on and so forth. For the fans of the sport and people that just happen to miss that part of their lives right now, we'd love to have a solution to that, and we'd love to see it be sooner than later. But again, you're going to have to exercise the proper amount of caution to make sure that everything that can be done has been done to halt the spread of the coronavirus or the dangers of it if you start gathering people in, I would say, even in a clubhouse full of people or a locker room full of people where you've got 25, 30, 40, or more, depending on when you get to the NFL, if and when that's a part of their planning i don't know but there are a lot of logistics here that go beyond hey are we going to start the season and when and can there be fans in attendance that kind of thing so i'm going to be fascinated to see how this story develops and i would love to see us get some clarity and hopefully get the answer we're looking for a lot sooner than later but as we wait some other news that was going on in the baseball world this week is that major league baseball is going to pay minor league players and i think that's something that we saw for quite a while bill we were talking about this over the off season when it came to just the compensation of minor leaguers and you know how that might be something that's going to be reevaluated and should be reevaluated just based on the very low scale of pay for the majority of the guys in the minors that I think might have surprised a lot of fans so that story was already magnified this offseason Rob Manfred though making an announcement this week that major league baseball will pay minor leaguers $400 per week through the month of May at that time they'll reevaluate everything and on the major league side and the players have agreed to Pro-rated salaries for this year. So there's some changes in that respect. And with no games going on, players with guaranteed contracts will be getting $5,000 a day beginning April 3rd. And that'll run for 60 days, comes out to about $300,000. Players under split contracts on a sliding scale, just based on whatever their guarantee is. But as you look at that, if you're wondering what $5,000 a day is for a player throughout the course of a major league season, that's somewhere between $900,000 and a million dollars. So For guys making $27 million a year, let's say, or guys making $5 or $8 million a year, it's going to be a little bit different. But this is something, a concession they made, something they agreed to that has allowed them to figure out some of the financial logistics of this whole situation. But putting the major league side away for a minute to make a long story longer, we're looking at this minor league thing, I think, and seeing perhaps some progress in how we're looking at the minor leaguers and their pay situation that may not have been present, say, back in December when MLB and MILB were bickering amongst themselves about a host of issues, including maybe teams going away altogether.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing in this, if you're looking for any kind of silver lining, if you are a fan of minor league baseball, if you have a team in your city or someplace where you go to watch it, this to me may be a little bit of thawing between the two, as you mentioned, all the contention that they had back during the wintertime. I think I saw a number over 150 Minor league teams from low A all the way up to triple A across the United States uh, as far as under the Major League Baseball purview, if you will, as far as their feeder system. So you're talking about a lot of players. If you have 150 of those uh, out there that you've got to take care of, but it's good to see Major League Baseball doing this. Again, you, you talk about the numbers with the uh, major league players, and they're getting five thousand dollars a day. And I'm sure most people out there look at it and go, "Oh my gosh, I'd love to get that for the next month, two months, let alone per day." But you know, look, they, these guys are are used to having way more money than that, and and for some of them, this is going to be tough even to you know pay their mortgages and everything else. And and I know it's hard to to feel bad for these guys, and it's not necessarily feeling bad for them, but. Right. On every level, no matter what you, where you're at, you you have your little ecosystem of what you money that you've making, your bills coming in and out, and you've developed that by how much you are used to earning. No matter how much it is, so yes, the same people that are you know going to be looking at this and saying, "Now wait a minute, look how much money how can how can this be a problem for them?" Are not looking at it as if okay let's take, and now you're only getting maybe 20 to 30% of your salary now and what it'll end up being and what it would do to your lifestyle. Yes, they're going to be fine, but certainly it's going to be an issue for some of these players that have maybe overextended themselves in some spots. Um, And I think more importantly, too, for the minor leaguers, they've got to go beyond May because, as we've talked about, they're not probably going to be playing until at least July for the major leagues What are they going to do for the minor leagues? And I think you and I have also seen a couple of different things where there's a possibility there may not be like a low A season this year. It just may not happen because they're usually done in August. So does it make any sense to just play July and August if you're in the minor leagues? Right. And that's a great question because I think that the season may be irrevocably broken
0: for minor league baseball, especially if we're talking about getting back to starting a season in July. And that might be fine for Major League Baseball, which could, say, get a 90 or 100 or maybe a little bit more game season in if they push this thing into November. But the minor leagues won't be playing in November. You mentioned that their season is ostensibly over at the end of August. They'll play their playoffs in the first week of September. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, they try to get through that as quickly as possible. There are no big travel days where, you know, you're playing a seven-game series over nine or ten days. No, you're trying to get four or five games in as quickly as possible and then move along. So. If their season's over in early September, but you didn't start playing until July, you start doing the math. There's very little time to do anything that resembles an actual regular season. And I have gotten some indication that teams are telling minor league players in AA and AAA to prepare for what a shortened season would be, while the rest of minor league baseball below the AA level might just be in workouts and intrasquad squad games, until which time they're assigned to a AA or a AAA based on need, or a big league team decides that they're going to utilize those players and those assets in the way that they need to to get through this season so it's going to be a very very different look for minor league baseball and if i can bring it back to as you mentioned the economy that's kind of built in and around minor league baseball it's a per franchise family friendly entertainment style of business very different than major league baseball's polished product with tv deals the lack of games financially is going to be a hardship on these clubs and those communities and the players and all the people working in those front offices, the likes of which we've really never seen before. So this lack of baseball right now, from the business perspective, again, I know we're all facing something bigger in the world and bigger in our everyday lives than simply talking about the business of sports, but I really feel bad for what's going on in the case of minor league baseball franchises individually right now, because I know it's got to be very hard to generate income and generate revenue. When you don't have any product that you can sell to the general public and your entire business model is based on being able to sell it at an affordable rate to begin with, they're not just sitting there counting their money and waiting for this thing to be over. I think this is going to be pretty tough, especially for teams that aren't owned by their major league affiliate either. That's going to be pretty tough in my opinion.
1: Yeah, and and hopefully some of those teams that uh, aren't direct owners of their minor leagues but have minor league feeder teams, if you have a a high A team that's an affiliate of, I don't know, Baltimore, but Baltimore doesn't actually own them, I would hope that the parent team would reach out and help them because we know, for the most part, I would guess 95% of the owners out there for one year would be able to keep their minor league teams, uh, at least the staff and those sort of things, you know, whole at that point, rather than just saying, well, you know what? You're not part of our club, so good luck to you. We'll find somebody else that can be our affiliate uh, in 2021. I would hope that doesn't happen. No, I would hope not either. And again, having worked in minor league
0: baseball for a few years, it's a very different lifestyle, very different uh, product, very different business model than what major league baseball is doing. Again, those clubs do not own their players. They don't make the roster decisions about the players. So all of this kind of comes back to the larger scale differences between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. And as soon as the whole thing came out, and I think it was leaked by the Minor League side from the reports that I read and the indications that I got, Major League Baseball thought that they were operating inside of, I guess, good faith with their negotiations in that none of it would become public. That doesn't mean that the things Major League Baseball was putting out there were necessarily the best for Minor League Baseball, but that, relationship, I would say, was fractured at the very least. and was on kind of thin ice, I felt like, throughout the winter as they tried to figure out the long-term viability of minor league baseball and what it's going to look like going forward. And this aside from arguing about, you know, paying the minor league players a living wage and all the other things that we've been talking about. So this kind of thing, this event that's happening in our life right now, really happens at an interesting time when you talk about the relationship between the major league clubs and the minor league clubs and just What minor league baseball may look like going forward based on what it has been, what it evolved into over the last, I'll say, 20 or 30 years and what it may be going forward if there are, say, 33 percent less teams. If major league baseball got its way in one particular scenario.
1: Well, and you also look at we talked about how they're going to cut back on the games and maybe not even have the low A, high A. Well, clearly, they're not going to have rookie league this year because the draft is going to be five rounds if they do it. So all of a sudden, you can't sit there and say, okay, unless you're going to combine a bunch of teams and say, okay, here are the six guys that the, the Braves picked and we'll match them up with the five guys that the Phillies had. We'll try to make a team with the other six that the Marlins had and you guys are one team. I mean, that's the only way they'd be able to do workouts, but there are going to be guys that, are going to get drafted that may not pick up a bat and take a competitive at-bat for over a year Mm -hmm. before their next attempt because they didn't have college baseball. It got shut down in March. So there's a good chance that that could happen for a lot of these guys.
0: And college baseball, one other thing I did see this week is that I believe the NCAA came out, and amongst the many things that it has not done so well, did say that spring athletes will receive another year of eligibility. And that's particularly interesting, I think, for the Major League Baseball draft because of the caps on bonuses. And and I've read a lot of different things, and this can be a long discussion as far as the draft structure that we talked about last week at some length, but I don't want to get too far into right now. But the bonus pool money and and what you can get as an undrafted player, that's just going to be, I think, incentive to go back and perhaps if you're a junior, go play your senior year of college baseball if you've got that option so that you can get back in the draft and what would be a more normal scenario as far as the money that you could make. Because again, as we go back, and this is all one big circle, and you can see how it goes, the minor league baseball side of things is not going to make you rich. So if you're not getting the big signing bonus that allows you to chase that dream for a lot of guys, it's a much more challenging scenario than people may realize. Just because you got drafted by a big league team does not mean that you got several hundred thousand dollars or became a millionaire overnight. Yeah, those guys at the top of the draft do. But when you're the 20-something round draft pick, very unlikely that you have made life-changing money at that point. And I think that's just something to keep in mind as you look at some of the things that baseball is facing right now, some of the things that for the time being maybe they're not going to be able to solve. But interesting to see what they did to make sure that minor leaguers got more pay than they were getting. Now, folks will look at $400 per week. That's not a lot. But when you consider what the pay scale was prior and that the other alternative might have been, hey, you get nothing. Right. I think that this is something that was accomplished here, and it's a start. I'll give it credit as being a start and something that should be hopefully an olive branch of some sort to maybe get these two sides back to finding where the middle ground is for them to come up with some agreements that help minor league baseball and thereby major league baseball as we go forward. Anyway, uh, let's move along in the major league baseball news cycle this week for something that I don't think a lot of people were very happy to hear about, and this popped up in the news in multiple reports late in the week, and that's that former Astros GM Jeff Lunau and manager A.J. Hinch, who were both suspended for one season and then summarily fired by the Astros, but both of those men would get credit for serving their one-year suspensions even if there is no season. I know everybody is hoping that there's going to be baseball this year, Bill, but if there's not and that's the suspension, and I know legally this is probably going to be a mess if baseball were to try to, say, move the suspension to the year after, but this is hardly punishment and when the entire game is stopped altogether.
1: Yeah, I'd be curious, too. I mean, I I would not be in favor of it. I think it should be you're suspended for the year, the next time Major League Baseball plays. So if they don't play in 2020, you're suspended for 2021. But my question will be, who's going to hire these guys anyway? Do you think, does somebody take a chance on either one of them in, in the future? Maybe. And that's the weird thing
0: about it is I saw something on Twitter, and I know that that's an echo chamber of, Really extreme opinions in some cases, but there was some Astros friendly Twitter account, and I forget the name of it. And I really honestly wouldn't want to publicize them on the (laughs) podcast anyway. But the question was, after this year is up, would you consider rehiring AJ Hinch? And it was 93% of about 400 or 500 voters in that poll said that, oh, yeah, we'd bring him back. I think that's the kind of thinking. I mean, there's been, I mean, sports is famous for folks that have very fervent opinions, you know, good, bad, and indifferent. Some of them downright crazy, and I know that my Twitter interactions sometimes are a little slice of that, but people don't necessarily think in a balanced manner. There are a lot of people that think, hey, it's just fine what they did, and if you don't like it, then too bad, because Major League Baseball didn't take our world title from us, so it still counts. And this is the kind of stuff that's kind of leaking into the public perception with Jim Crane, who's busy saying that he should not be held accountable legally if the team is sued, because Major League Baseball, and I quote, exonerated him in its report. I mean, this thing, again, it, it continues to get worse, but it's taken a backseat to everything that's going on in the world. But there are a whole lot of just unlikable people that are still wrapped up in this thing. And I think there's going to be a lot of bad feelings when baseball does resume that aren't necessarily going to be forgotten just because the sport went away for a little while because it had to.
1: It's amazing just to project out because Houston hired Dusty Baker, of course, to come right. in and be their manager. Dusty's not a young guy, not to say that he can't manage for the next, you know, three to five years, but I'm not sure that he even wants to be around uh, doing it for that much longer. So, sure, can you see a situation now where Baker takes them for the next two to three years and then decides to hang them up and lo and behold, A.J. Hinch comes back in the fold, especially, as you said, if Crane still doesn't believe that he did anything wrong and exonerated, which is a joke to me. Um, for everything that happened. But if he feels that way, why wouldn't he reach back and bring Hinch? In? I, th- I think Hinch probably has a better chance of getting rehired than their former GM does. Yeah.
0: And I think that Jim Crane, who at first, when the whole story was developing, and we talked about this way too much already on the podcast over the last couple of three months, but at first, you're like, you feel sorry for him because, hey, he may not have known what was going on. And yeah, that's terrible if you're just assuming that everybody's acting in good faith, which again is a very dangerous assumption. But Jim Crane went from being a guy that you might be a little bit sympathetic for because of what happened to his team, not necessarily in the view of the public or in his view, for that matter, to being an unapologetic figure by the time that they called their press conference at the start of spring training, which feels like a decade ago. At this point, it feels like a very long time ago. But either way, I I don't think that there's a whole lot of self-awareness that's been involved with how the club has handled that. So would it be shocking to see them bring back A.J. Hinch at some point in some capacity. Say he's not even the manager, but they just hire him as some kind of special assistant or something of that nature. I just wouldn't rule it out. I don't think it's impossible. Also, I don't think it's impossible that some other club doesn't hire one of these guys in some kind of role, whether that's Hinch as a bench coach and whether that's some kind of other executive opportunity for Lunal. I don't really know. I mean, it's something that is completely and totally just pure speculation, but Never say never seems to be a statement that comes up quite a bit in the world of sports and perhaps in the world in general. So I I can't necessarily say if they serve their one year suspension that they'll never work in baseball again. And we still don't really know what the depth of the Red Sox part of the scandal is going to be because we haven't heard what the commissioner's report is going to be on that. So I think there's still a lot of stuff that's just out there on the table. And I guess it's fair to speculate. I just don't know how much more time I want to spend speculating on the Houston Astros and their sign stealing debacle.
1: Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. And, and and again, I think if Hinch did end up in another organization, I think the odds are that he would end up back with the Astros. But if he ended up in, a, in another organization, it has to be a one that has a strong manager. As you mentioned, if he's going to be a bench coach, it's got to be under somebody yeah. that's well established in that position, wherever it may be, so that you don't have the fans sitting there going, well. Why don't we just make him the manager rather than leaving him as the bench coach? And it also has to be an organization that can take those slings and arrows that will obviously come when you hire a guy like Hinch.
0: Yeah. One other story in the news as far as the Astros side of things was concerned, and it actually comes from a former Brave, and Evan Gaddis, who was, I think, kind of making the rounds on social media this week when he tweeted out a picture of Mike Fires that was put out by a local Houston bar or barbecue place that had the Snitches Get Stitches title underneath a picture of Fires in his Oakland Athletics gear. And that was a cup that they were giving out to customers. I guess that Evan Gaddis got one of those and decided that it would be a good idea to post a picture of that on Twitter. I know I saw it, and that for me was a whole lot of yikes right there. He went on to clarify that it was just he thought it was funny, not that he actually wishes ill intent on Mike Fires. But more to the point and more in the news for Evan Gaddis this week was, He joined David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty on the Athletic Podcast. I know a lot of Braves fans listen to this already. It's called 755 is Real. You can subscribe to that over on Apple Podcasts. I recommend that you do. They do great work over there. But Evan Gaddis Bill, had a lot of very interesting things to say, very candid things, if you will, when it came to the Astros and what they did.
1: Yeah, I'll leave out some of the more colorful language in these quotes, but there are some good money quotes in here including this one when he said, everybody wants to be the best player in the world, man, and we cheated that for sure, and we obviously cheated baseball and cheated fans. I'm not asking for sympathy or anything like that. If our punishment is being hated by everybody forever, just like whatever it is, I don't know what should be done, but something had to be done. I do agree with that big time. I do think it's good for baseball that we're cleaning it up. And I understand that it's not good enough to say, I'm sorry, I get it. So at least he's one of the first guys that's come out and said, "Yeah, we cheated, we did it, and we're going to be hated forever. And uh, nothing that I say is going to change that fact. So at least he's got a pretty good perspective on how the fans outside of Houston Astros fans, how most fans feel about Houston and what they did. Yeah, and I'll throw this out there as well because I know
0: a lot of Braves fans and folks that listen to this podcast, listen to David's podcast, that follow the team for any amount of time. Evan Gaddis was one of the great stories. I mean, it was like a Disney movie when his career got started, his major league career, when he kind of came out of nowhere to make the Atlanta Braves and then to slug all these home runs and and make up all these like Paul Bunyan-esque stories that that happened with – and we had Evan Gaddis facts that would show up on Twitter on a regular basis. The stuff was amusing, and the story of what he overcame in his personal life to even have another chance to play baseball, again, it was the stuff that a, a sports movie would be made of. But uh, long story short, this was, I think, disappointing on a couple of different levels when it came to some of the involvement of former Braves players from the fan base that I know I interact with on an everyday basis, not just Eva Gattis, but also Brian McCann. I know when he came back to Atlanta last year, that was something fans were very excited about by the time the level of involvement of everyone was apparent when it came to the Astros sign stealing deal, that kind of put a sour taste in people's mouth about that. At the very least, for what his role may or may not have been, the fact that we'll really never know. And no matter how many of these articles come out and cite, well, this guy was upset about it. This guy was not happy with it. This guy asked for it to stop. The fact that it didn't stop pretty much tells you everything that you need to know, by and large, about what the Houston Astros as a team chose to do whether or not there were guys sitting around trying to be the conscience of the team, but then ultimately not doing anything about it. Now, again, we've wasted a lot of time in our lives talking about this whole thing. But Evan Gaddis, it did show a certain amount of awareness. But I just have to ask the question, if all of this never came to light, would this have ever weighed on anyone's conscience enough to basically come out from inside the team? Let's put Mike Fires over on the side as a member of the Oakland A's at the time. But would anybody ever really felt bad enough about this to self-report, if you know what I mean? I just have to ask that because I just think the answer to that is no.
1: Yeah, I don't think it would have happened uh, while any of these guys were still active. I could see maybe down the road, and we've seen former major league players talk about how they did it back in their day. So I think at some point it would have come out, but it wouldn't have been the bombshell that it ended up being because... The guys would have been retired. It would have just been another story. Major League Baseball would have said, well, we didn't have any evidence of it at the time, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, I agree with Gaddis. I mean, and he said it had to come out because it would have gotten even more out of control. So he understood why Fire said something. And he's one of the few guys that actually is going to come out and admit to that. I think we've seen all the interviews with all these other players have been like, it wasn't as big of a deal and, you know, it didn't help that much and that kind of thing at least is putting it out there.
0: Yeah. And I think there's something to be said for that. But again, it's an exhausting topic. And it's one that's certainly not over. We're just focused so much more on something that's affecting every facet of people's lives around the world. But I did think it was interesting, some candid remarks, which I think you can give a little bit of credit for, but it doesn't do anything really to undo the damage that was done. But it is good to see that there is some level of self-awareness out there somewhere than to just come out and apologize for I'm not going to say what, but you already know, but I'm sorry, and let's move on kind of thing that the Astros were doing by and large in the spring, in addition to, well, hey, they didn't take our World Series title, so the rest of you can just deal with it. I thought that was uh, a particularly tone-deaf direction that the club chose to take, but Evan Gaddis wasn't necessarily represented on that dais on that particular day. So moving on from the Houston Astros and everything to do with them for this podcast. Some food for thought. I was thinking about this, Bill, this week as we think about all the lost time for these players during their careers. And historically speaking, guys like Mike Trout, I'm sure there's others that we could look at. I mean, everybody that has to miss time is something of a, a what if. But I look back on strike shortened seasons and wartime service for, let's say, a guy like Ted Williams. And you always look at it and speculate, oh, what would that guy have done if he'd been playing? And that's something that we may have to do, especially if you lose an entire season of somebody's career in the prime, when you think about a guy like Trout, I just think it's an interesting offshoot of the entire situation, because we'll always wonder what that year would have been like in that sport, and really all sports, as they lose time to this. And we don't know when things can resume, and hopeful and cautiously optimistic, I think, are the two best mindsets for fans who are missing their sports right now. But I think that's something to just at least consider, is what this does from a legacy perspective, of losing some time in the prime of careers for guys who are, historically speaking, perhaps the best of the generation for a guy like Mike Trout.
1: Yeah, Trout, um, you look at some other guys that may be at the back end of their career trying to get to some milestone numbers as well. Anytime that you miss games, whether it's from a strike, whether, as you mentioned, Ted Williams and so many other guys in Major League Baseball as well, that spent time, whether it was World yep. War World War II or Korea or whatever it may have been, you know, it, it's it's a tough thing to look at and, and have them down the road to think back and say, wow, if i had only had these 80-some games, maybe I would have got to 3,000 hits or maybe I would have got to 3,000 strikeouts or whatever the milestone number will be. The thing is, it's equal and fair for everybody because they're not just the only ones that are going to be missing out on it. And I think now the media folks that vote on, say, the Hall of Fame or whatever it may be down the road are going to look at this and they have a better understanding of how that all works. I yeah. I can't think of a guy that necessarily missed time to World War II or Korea that ended up not getting into the Hall of Fame because they missed time because of their, their war service. You were talking off the air with me about the, some guys with strike-shortened seasons that really may have missed out on milestone things and perhaps even the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I think so.
0: I mean, I look at Fred McGriff as a guy that in the strike of 94-95, where you lose the last 40-ish games, 40-plus games of 94, and you lose the first 18 games of the 95 season, I think McGriff has 500 home runs at that point. And if you've got 500 home runs, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of hand-wringing when you think about the manner in which Fred McGriff and his legacy has been looked upon by Major League Baseball. He's not a guy that's being suspected of performance-enhancing drug use. I think that's Clearly, something that might just put him over the top, and we might be talking about Fred McGriff Hall of Famer right now. Additionally, another one, just again from a Braves perspective, is the 1981 strike. I think Dale Murphy, if he gets 50 or so more games, is going to hit two more home runs. And if he had his 400 homers, how would his legacy have been looked upon with that round number throughout his writer's ballot years? And then for the Veterans Committee that he's been on a couple of times and not gotten in, I just have to wonder, because... There's a weird mystique in baseball that goes around nice, round, milestone numbers. Now, Fred McGriff could hit seven more home runs if he came out of retirement and he wouldn't pass anybody on the all-time home run list. He's tied with Lou Gehrig right now, which I think is a pretty good peer. For Murphy, I just think that a round number would have helped him out in terms of his dominance in the 80s and then maybe reaching a milestone that kind of helps you really look at his career in perpetuity and say, yeah, I mean, this guy really... He definitely passes the eye test, if you will. But again, the Hall of Fame voting is a weird thing that we can argue about and probably do a whole series of podcasts on and never get any clarity as to what exactly it is makes a Hall of Famer for some people. But this is just the stuff I look at when you lose time. It's certainly not going to keep Mike Trout out of the Hall of Fame, but I just kind of wonder 20, 30 years down the road, what will we be looking back at and thinking, man, what if they hadn't missed X amount of time or What if that season hadn't been negatively impacted by what was going on? The same kind of thing I guess you could look at in some respects to well, guys went off and served during the war. That's something that was going on in the world. It was bigger than baseball, and
1: it just kind of is what it is. Sure. And I think if you look at trout'll be fine, but it'd be the guys that maybe didn't get to finish out their careers the way they wanted to, or maybe guys who didn't even get to launch their career, because again, They've missed an entire year of development and you don't know how that goes for some guys. So there's going to be a lot of those stories that people will dive into, whether it's, you know, within the next 12 months, whether it's five years, 10 years, 15 years from now, there will be some great stories written about this lost, hopefully only half season, hopefully not an entire season, whatever it may be. To look back at that and say, wow, what would have happened if this guy had had the opportunity? You know, He was going to make the majors out of spring training. The whole season got canceled. He never got back to that point. Those are the stories that will be fascinating. Yeah, it will be fun to look at Trout's numbers and kind of speculate like we do with Ted Williams and other guys who were in you know, World War II in Korea. But it's the guys that were on the cusp that may not get back there, that'll be interesting to see what happens with them, if they'll always be just AAA guys or if they'll find a way to still get that opportunity when everything gets back to what will be relatively normal.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And just going back to Ted Williams, because I've done this many times and I know that other people have done it as well. If you look at the years of service time from him and you look at the average season that he was putting up in the prime of his career at that time, Ted Williams would probably be a guy that I think is pushing 700 home runs if he had not missed his time due to service. Now, I have all the respect in the world for what Ted Williams did, quite obviously. And I don't think that he necessarily looks back on it in that way or did look back on it in that way. And it felt like, oh, well, the big takeaway here is the missed years of my career. Certainly not. Ted Williams was very proud of what he did and his enlistment, not only in World War II, but also in Korea, uh, where I believe he spent the bulk of his time doing his flight missions in Korea after being well-trained in World War II. And Not to just get off on a wild tangent or whatnot, but Ted Williams' story is really fascinating. But if you think about him not missing any time for any reason whatsoever, Ted Williams wanted people to look at him as the greatest hitter who ever lived, and I think he's got a very strong case for that, but there might have been no question whatsoever. If you give Ted Williams five more years, I think that may be the guy that everyone's talking about all the time when you talk about greatest hitter in the history of baseball if he had his career Not impacted by leaving to go serve in the military and have been able to play it out and just have that two decades of dominance because we already saw what he did. There's no question about his credentials, but it's just fun to think about. What if you could give Ted Williams three, four, five more years worth of his career back? Be pretty interesting to look at those numbers at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, he didn't get to 3,000 hits. He definitely would have gotten to that because he was at 2654. So, you figure even 150 hits, which would have been low at that time for his career rate. Yeah, I mean, he was averaging about 180 uh, when he went off to World War II. So, you're talking about well over 3,000 hits at that point. I don't know that he would have got to the 700 home runs, but he would have probably challenged it. And close. But everything else is, I mean, probably well over 2,000 runs batted in. I mean, yeah, there's no question. I mean, the numbers are eye popping anyway. Right. Um, but yeah, they would have been off the charts at that point had he not missed the time because you're talking about being 24, 25 and 26 when he was in World War II, which is the most part people say is probably the very front edge. If you have a seven year prime, those three years are right in that prime. And could you read me the line on
0: 1941 for Ted Williams? Because it would seem sure. like if we're projecting what would be the prime of one's career, and you had the kind of 1941 that he had, that there was an awful lot of
1: history still up his sleeves if he was not leaving at any point in time in the not-too-distant future after that. I mean, yeah, what numbers do you want? Just across the board? I mean, you're talking about 185 hits, 37 of those were home runs. He walked 147 times that, that batting year.
0: batting average real quick.
1: 406? Yeah. Slug 7.35. Uh, On base was 5.53, which is ridiculous. As far as baseball
0: reference pages, and you know you're a baseball fan when you have your favorite baseball reference pages, but I can go get lost on Ted Williams for 10, 15, 30 minutes just going through stats and thinking, wow, I mean, he led the league in this, this and this and this and this and this. And how did he not lead the league here? And then, of course, getting to the, man, what if he had four or five more years of his prime of his career in which we would know what those final numbers could look like if he'd had that opportunity. It's just a great thing to think about. Not the most fun thing to think about clearly now where we're sitting and you know wanting to see baseball come back sooner than later, wanting to get life back on track as well in the bigger picture. I just thought it was a fascinating discussion and something that didn't necessarily get us lost completely in you know, what we're facing right now, for lack of a better term, and also not having to talk about sign stealing or those kind of things as well. I think that's kind of a nice thing to get off into. And I have one more of those stories that I think is kind of interesting. It might be a great what if for the 2020 season, and it comes from Dodgers third baseman, Justin Turner. And you might be wondering what exactly is Justin Turner doing right now that would be particularly noteworthy? And I'll answer that with coming up with ideas that I guess in his mind will help out Major League Baseball in some way, shape, or form once the 2020 season resumes, because that's what we're hoping for. So Justin Turner has been doing some brainstorming and a format that would be a solution for all teams as they deal with extra innings, which has been on the table discussion. And this is a quote from Justin Turner. It's my opportunity to push for a home run derby in extra innings. Instead of playing 17 innings, you get one extra inning, you play the 10th, no one scores, then you go to the home run derby. this was an interview actually with Spectrum Sportsnet on Wednesday, where Turner pitched this idea. So then Turner went on to say, you take each team's three best hitters, you give them all five outs, and you see who hits the most homers. And that would determine your winner for that particular baseball game. Bill, this idea, he went on to further clarify or quantify with, it's only for 2020. But I still don't think that this is going to be anything that we see in the game in 2020 or any other year. I'm going to have to
1: be a big thumbs down on this because right. it's just, it's not baseball. It's a bit silly. It's and a bit silly. I know, I know he he equated it to, you know, he said, when I go to hockey games, I like watching the shootout. It keeps me sure. in my seat until the end of the game. But that's kind of, okay, you want to do a home run derby. Okay, I guess you're going to have your pitching coach throw to you, It would be my guess, right? Because I mean, you're I not going to have the other team's no pitcher idea. throw to you. But- How about a machine? Yeah, sure. You could do that, too. Bring out the pitching machine, set it up, calibrate it, whatever you want to do. But that's at least in hockey, there's a bit of, hey, you know what? That goaltender has been trying to stop them from shooting the puck in the back of the, net the entire game. So at least it has its place in the game of hockey. You could see a penalty shot, which is basically yeah. what the shootout is, at some point during a hockey game. It's rare, but you could see it. You're never going to see a home run derby in the middle of a baseball game. Just doesn't happen. So I'm not into this. I don't think it's a great idea. I mean, good for him thinking outside the box, but I have zero interest in seeing this go down. None. Yeah, and I think that home run derbies would kind of lose their
0: intrigue, if you will, if you were having them happen night after night after night or having, I don't know, six of them happen across baseball. I mean, extra innings is what it is, and baseball is formatted differently Obviously, without the clock, without some of the other parameters that other sports are governed by. So I'm with you. I don't necessarily need to see that at the end of games. I also personally don't need to see this. All right, let's put a runner on second and continue that throughout the uh, minor league side of things. Something they're testing when you get to the extra innings of putting guys out on second base to start the inning. I don't think that that's really necessarily helping anything out either because you should be able to produce a run, I guess is what you're saying. And then ultimately, when someone fails to produce a run or runs, then they're going to lose that baseball game. But it's talking to some of the minor league guys. I don't think that they particularly love it. I don't know that anybody absolutely hates it. I'm sure somebody does. But guys I talked to weren't really a fan of that as far as that whole thing is concerned. So you'd already be bringing in uniform personnel, but not a player to serve up home runs to a guy to decide a game that it's a bit convoluted. And I think it's a bit too much of a reach for even the most ardent fan of the home run or
1: trying to get home quicker and not sit through a 17 or 18 inning baseball game to meet that i mean again we're baseball guys so it's probably different but i yeah. love when those games start getting when you get past like ending 12 and 13 you're like wow this could go Strategy. for a while this is getting to be fun because what moves are they going to make how far into the bullpen do you go do you just say you know what we're going to throw this guy until the other team scores because I don't want to drain my bullpen because I got to play 20 games in the next 21 nights. That, to me, is the long-term thinking strategy when you get into those extra training games. I would be more okay, I don't like it, but I'd be more okay with the minor league, put the runner on second Mm -hmm. way quicker than I would ever, ever agree to this home run derby thing. No chance I want to see this home run derby thing at all.
0: I get where he's coming from, and he's just throwing it out there because why not? I mean, we all are looking for things to talk about and think about with baseball, but I don't think there's any way you could sell it to me that I would be okay with that being how baseball games are decided. Ultimately, clearly, nobody wants to sit through a slew of 14- or 15-inning baseball games in the same week, but every once in a while, I mean, some of your best moments, I think, in any season or in any fan's life have to be, hey, remember that extra inning game where such-and-such happened? I wouldn't want to take that away in a large-scale sense, the way that this would completely take away the magic and the allure of the moments that could be hiding in extra innings if you're busy doing a home run derby at the end of the night. So, no, I I don't really look at that as being something that would lend itself to the competitive spirit of the game in any way, shape, or form.
1: Yeah, and I understand maybe he's trying to save pitchers' arms because in 2020, again, when and if they get things started, there may be a problem with you know guys having to get – extended out because you are going to be in a truncated season and they're talking about taking days off so I mean I get where his head is as far as that goes I would be interested to see what the reaction was from not only his teammates but from others around Major League Baseball if most people are like Justin come on this is never work you gotta come up with something else man go back in the lab and, and experiment a little bit more because this ain't gonna happen
0: well I appreciate your time as always Bill hopefully everything's going well for you guys up there and hopefully sooner than later, we'll be talking about when Major League Baseball can get this thing going again. And more importantly, when we can all kind of go back to business as usual and our everyday lives and people can feel safe and secure out there as well. Because I think that everybody would like to feel that and to breathe that sigh of relief. And hopefully that's coming.
1: Absolutely. And thanks again, Grant. Always a pleasure to join you. We'll do it again next week. Well, that'll wrap us up for this week. As always, want to let you know you can subscribe
0: to From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and those reviews. And on social media, at FromTheDiamond, underscore, at Grant McCauley, at Bill Rowland. That's how you can connect with us on Twitter and on Instagram, at FromTheDiamond, and at Grant Macaulay is where you can find us there. And everything, including every episode of the show, is there for you at FromTheDiamond.com. So that'll wrap us up for this week, but we're looking forward to bringing you some more baseball talk next time on From the Diamond. Until then, for Bill Rowland, I'm Grant McCauley, and we will catch you then. So long, everyone.